Welcome to episode three, uh, season two of SPD's Automotive Cases podcast series. My name is Andrew Hart. I'm the CEO of SPD Automotive. And today I'm joined by Alan Deeper and Chris from our ADAS and Autonomous teams. And we're going to be really delving deeper into some of the recent announcements um, that have been happening in this space. Uh, and Chris is also going to be sharing some more insights from a, a report he recently published um, on the future of sensors in cars. So let's get things started then. There's been quite a lot of announcements in the last month alone, really, around ADAS and autonomy. I want to start by talking about the GM Ultra Cruise announcement that was a week ago now. Um, Alan, what's what's different about Ultra Cruise versus Super Cruise? And is it a, a kind of evolutionary step or more of a revolutionary step? So it's more of an evolutionary step, really. Um, it's really building on top of of Super Cruise, so Ultra Cruise is an enhancement effectively of, of Super Cruise. Um, the system will be um, enabled outside of highways, so that's really the big, the big difference. So the operating domain is different, is, uh, is greater. Uh, there'll be a lot more miles that you can cover uh, with uh, Ultra Cruise uh, Engage. Uh, the car's got a lot more sensors as well. Um, so really what we think GM is doing is to prepare the ground for, for better things. The hardware, the car will be hardware ready for maybe level three, level four in the future. One thing really to remember is that uh, Ultra Cruise is still a level two system. So the driver is responsible 100% of the time. And what do you mean by kind of ready for level three and level four? Practically, you know, what, what is happening in the hardware side or on the software side that makes it ready but not yet enabled? So what's happening, the, a lot of the, the key sensors, the necessary sensors on the compute is on the car. Uh, it's the software that is not necessarily enabled or developed fully. So, but through over the air, then the vehicle will be able to get updated or upgraded um, over, over time when when the improvement is ready. Mm, okay, okay. So it's kind of sticking with the, the the industry's mainstream approach of having quite a lot of sensor redundancy um, and gradually increasing the functionality. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely the, the trend. Uh, I guess Tesla was probably one of the company who kind of created that trend initially, um, but many OEMs are now following that uh, that approach. Okay, let's move on to Lucid Motors, um, and obviously they're they're one of these startup OEMs, and they made quite a big splash recently, um, both in terms of the, the size of their battery, a, a whopping I think it's more than 500 miles, um, but even from a kind of marketing and branding point of view, they're, they're really working very hard to position themselves as being different. Um, I don't know if anyone's watching the the, the Amazon Prime series Goliath, um, but I was watching the latest series and it was really interesting to see that the main uh, the main baddie character in that in that series is driving around in elusive motors. What what is it deeper in your mind that they're doing differently compared to the others when it comes to their ADAS strategy? I think uh, rather than saying uh, being different, I think uh, what they're trying to do is, you know, um, being a new brand, when they introduce, uh, they have a much, much higher level of autonomy on the vehicles. And in almost, uh, we can say, you know, to a large extent, I think the race is pretty much over if you just, you know, if you're a new brand and you just come out with just, uh, you know, the basic standard ADAS, you don't necessarily stand out. From from their public videos on Twitter, it seems like the car is loaded with a lots of sensors. So you've got a mix of you know cameras, uh, lidars, uh, radars. Maybe they almost to the extent say that they've got a 32 sensors, which is uh, a lot uh, of sensors of the car just to deliver some of these functions. 
And uh, interestingly enough, what's uh, good about that is that they also focus a lot on the HMI aspect. And, and it's nice to see that, you know, uh, that there's a, a complete uh, ground-up approach of, you know, trying to make things clear when you engage your autonomy or what, what the car is trying to support. And hopefully when we uh, do our testing, which we are planning to do, uh, you know, sometime in future, the Lucid Air, we might be able to evaluate some of these aspects as well. And I think uh, one of the other aspects that they have also made clear is that uh, this industry trend of, you know, OTAs or over-the-air updates is something that they are going to offer as part of this vehicle as well. So, you know, gradually it's expected that these ADAS will progressively become more automated, whether that's on parking or highway. It's some of those we can expect to see on the Lucid Air. I was also talking to one of our, our experts around um, the electrical architecture, and he was uh, incredibly excited in a very technical way um, by their, their Ethernet ring. So this is kind of a proprietary um, network they develop within the car that can allow for kind of high-speed communication uh, within the car. I asked him to kind of write down a few notes on what it meant practically. Um, and he wrote back saying, redundant rings have been implemented before to improve robustness of a, of a specific domain, um, but it's typically been kind of very much within that domain. So it's been infotainment, for example, through through the most MOS rings, um, or GM's done something with supercruise and, and redundant flex ray rings for the supercruise. Um, but really, this is the first time that they've seen um, something happening across the whole core network. Um, not even seen that with with CAN networks before. Um, so certainly in terms of the vehicle architecture, they seem to be doing something quite advanced, more so than obviously um, the, the kind of traditional OEMs, but even more so than Tesla that, you know, realistically now has a, a, a fair amount of legacy built up um, over time. So I thought that was quite interesting to share. Um, Alan, back to you. In terms of uh, another announcement that was uh, made over the last few weeks, Qualcomm's acquisition of um, Veneer, it feels more and more like chipset makers are taking over. We've seen it from Intel, we've seen it from NVIDIA. Um, what's your view on all of that? Well, I think those uh, chipset manufacturers want to, to stay relevant, really, and want to go up the chain, if you want, of, of the uh, and become more of the, of the T1s rather than being uh, really um, low in the, kind of the, uh, the chain, so in the ecosystem. So, um, it's not really surprising. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities in the future uh, for companies who can offer a complete uh, platform to uh, to an OEM, uh, the complete compute, and especially if it's an open platform. Um, at the minute, we there isn't really a huge amount of platform that OEMs can go to, and uh, quite a few of them are quite closed, so you can't easily do your own software on, on them. So. Uh, I think it's quite a natural um, approach they've, they've taken and um, yeah, to stay relevant and it will offer more opportunities and accept more options to BOMs moving forward. That's really good. Another another headline um, over the last week that I saw was uh, around Cruise and they, through some kind of investor presentation, announced that they expected to see a million level four vehicles by 2030. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a bit difficult to uh, really trust or believe that number in a short uh, amount of time to uh, achieve one million vehicle. 
it's it's unclear as to what they mean by L4 vehicle in the sense that they probably englobe robotaxi but also goods delivery pods uh, as, as a whole. But even though, even if you were to do that, um, I think it's um, a very aggressive target. Um, there's still of unknowns in terms of consumer acceptance, the actual robustness of, of the system, and the whole business case, to be honest, is is not that strong, really, not at least in the initial phases. So, um, yeah, um, certainly when we do our own uh, forecast of such uh, kind of system, we, we don't get any near one million vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you work even backwards from the number of vehicles, the number of taxis and ride-sharing vehicles that are in the market today, um in across a large footprint of, of all of the us you're talking about two and a half million um vehicles in in the us um so to say that crews alone are going to have one million um in the what will probably be a more limited number of cities um it certainly feels a bit um a bit unusual yeah so i guess we'll have to to watch them see what happened but um yeah certainly a, a challenging target yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of wrap up of the news um, over the last month, especially around ADAS and autonomy. Um, a, a lot of really interesting announcements there. Um, I want to now pivot towards talking about a recent report that you published, Chris, um, that's focused on sensors um, and particularly around um, what what's the right kind of combination of sensors for different types of conditions, for different types of use cases. Um, and what are the different strategies that different OEMs are, are kind of pursuing? Um, give us a bit, a bit more background about the report and about some of the key findings that came out of it. Okay, so this report is about, as you said, the ADAS market landscape. Um, and what we try to do is work out the state of ADAS today in terms of the sensing solutions and where we think it's heading, what sensors are deployed on cars today to support generally up to the SA level two and level three and where we think it's going. So in the report we cover, we do a deep dive into the different types of sensors that are used. So this is predominantly uh, radar, camera, LIDAR and ultrasonic. We then look at who supplies them, what each OEM is doing. And then finally, we have a forecast for the market size of each of these sensors. One thing that jumps out is that we're going to see a lot more long range LIDARs being deployed. It's quite interesting because going back to when the Audi A8 was launched, this was the first long range LIDAR in the market. That was 2017, I think. And then from then till last year, it was really just Audi. And now we're seeing loads of new entrants introducing mm. LIDAR, uh, XPeng and Neo and uh, Lucid. But we've also got a lot of uh, other players in, say, Europe. We've got Volvo, BMW, Daimler. Uh, these are introducing LiDARs. And what do you think is driving that, um, that mass introduction now of, of LiDAR? So this is predominantly driven by the introduction of hands-free driving systems. To give a few examples, as we talked about earlier, we've got the GM Ultra Cruise. That's going to use a, a long-range LiDAR go on to an example about level three the honda sensing elite in japan which would be deployed on honda legend that will have five long-range lidars that, that must be quite expensive uh, lidar has traditionally been the most expensive of the sensors hasn't it is that starting to change now yes so first ones on the market were 
many tens of thousands of dollars per sensor. And now we're coming into the sub thousand dollar region. And I know OEMs are aiming for $500 mark in the coming years. So coming down quick. That's really interesting. Another thing I read through the report yesterday and it was really fascinating. You had one chart showing kind of the different levels of autonomy in terms of level two, hands-on, level two, hands-off, level three, uh, against the number effectively of sensors, whether it's camera only, camera on radar, uh, camera radar on LiDAR. And it was really interesting to see how lonely Tesla is in terms of where they're positioned. Can you tell us a bit more about kind of the, the, what Tesla is banking on compared to the others? So Tesla, they are pursuing their Tesla vision strategy, which means that they're going to basically rely on purely a vision-based system to support their ADAS. Um, I mean, previously they've they were deploying both ra radars and cameras. However, they're sort of dropping the radars for simply cameras. Uh, what, what they're doing here is they are relying on collecting a huge amount of vision-based data from their fleet. And they're going to use this to collect a massive data set to train their neural networks and AI. And they think that uh, with enough data and with a good enough algorithm, you can essentially bypass the need for radars or lidars or even hd maps yeah. which is a completely different approach to most other oems who are offering uh, many modes of uh, sensing modality the reason other oems are doing this is because every sensor has its strengths and its weaknesses for example a camera is very good at classification but it is not very robust in say poor weather and lighting conditions and whereas the tesla system which uses vision may have a very much degraded performance in the case of say you know direct sunlight into the camera a other oems who use you know radars and lidars their systems can sort of uh, the, uh, they can sort of rely on these other sensors more yeah so yeah. to sort of uh, mitigate the limitations of the camera sensors. So, you know, a radar isn't going to be affected um, by sunlight, for example. Alan Deeper, you've been keeping close tabs on, on this kind of Tesla versus the rest kind of world that we're in. Um, what kind of indicators would you expect to see that would suggest that Tesla's approach was either working and scaling or or that it was going to start falling behind because of that lack of redundancy? Well, I think we are already seeing some of the signs, to be honest. Um, the fact that, uh, for example, Nitsa is now investigating Tesla a lot more uh, in depth to understand why some of those vehicles had crashes in, into a part vehicle, for example. Mm. Um, that's in direct, uh, direct consequence of the single modality they're using for sensing. Um, so I think the signs are already there. Um, the question is whether the, I guess, the legislator will will decide that this is not good enough or or not. Yeah. Um, the other, all other OEMs have they've gone for let's have more sensors so we can guarantee um, robustness more. Um, Tesla has gone for a completely different approach. So. Uh, yeah, well, I think the time will tell, but it's not. I don't think it's going to take very long before uh, 
uh, we'll have some some clear idea whether uh, um, Tesla kind of approach is is going to be uh, an approach that will be uh, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. For the long run. I think uh, the other aspect to look at, I think uh, to be uh, a bit more positive on the Tesla side, I think uh, they have been a trendsetter, you know, in, in the initial days of their brand launch, they did come out with something completely different. But uh, since then, I think we can also say there's a lot been awareness on the regulation side, for example. So, you know, even, you know, authorities are trying to understand how some of these OTAs might, you know, impact and ensure the the primary goal of safety is still being, you know, core part of all this development. Uh, so, you know, like Alan said, you know, some of their approach is OK today, but, you know, to continue in the same line could be challenging. Uh, especially if you have to comply with some of the regulations and, you know, still ensure that what, what your system is giving your customer is is good and it can be trusted and it does uh, its job safely. And do, do you have any views deeper on why Tesla stuck so narrowly to, to only cameras? Is it is it a cost thing? Or is there other complexities and downsides of sensor fusion compared to just relying on one sensor? What's... What's the logic, do you think? I guess we couldn't necessarily pinpoint one one specific, uh, you know, it all, well, at the end of the day, it really comes down to a brand strategy. And, you know, um, certainly development cost will be an element of it. Uh, and also maybe to a large extent, uh, maybe their uh, positive side is their training uh, set or the data set that they have collected since day one when their cars have been launched. Uh, and perhaps they could think that, you know, they have a very strong foothold in, you know, vision-based system, and therefore they don't necessarily need to rely on many of the suppliers and, you know, have a, a more uh, in-house and a complete control of their development, which then ties back to their, uh, you know, their uh, brand image of, you know, uh, continuously providing OTAs, continuously refining features, which compare some of the other OEMs is perhaps not be possible to the same extent as Tesla because you are uh, in a chain and you have to rely on some of your partners to provide that. So perhaps I think it could be one answer to uh, their strategy, but could be that there might be more um, other, uh, you know, pointers to, you know, their choice of purely going only for vision-based system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, maybe just to complement Deepa's answer, um, one one thing that uh, I think Elon Musk has, uh, has mentioned is the fact that if you have two sensors, if uh, if they don't tell you the same answer, which one do you trust? Yeah. So it's, it's really hard to get the um, correct answer for that. So if you want to go into that kind of approach, you really need two, um, not two sensors, but three sensors. So you can do, uh, can do some sort of voting strategy. Yeah. So we'd go for two out of you know, three saying the same thing, and therefore you go with that. So if you really want to have robustness, you need to have more than two modalities. You have to go to three, and then to Deepa's point, the, the cost is just then rocketing. Interesting. The, um, the sensor strategy also almost matches their organizational strategy, where Tesla's you know, got Elon Musk telling everyone else what to do. You know, one yeah. one source of truth, whilst the other OEMs are kind of going for for kind of more of a consensus building approach with multiple sensors um so yeah very interesting um so last up i just wanted to, as we kind of come to the end of this podcast just highlight any any upcoming um 
events or activities that, that, that people should be aware of um, over the next few months. Is there anything on your radar? No pun intended. Uh, I think the, the biggie is probably CS, um, kind of uh, starting in January. So it's always a massive event. I think this year uh, it's, it's reopened the doors, so it's going to be on-site visits. Um, SBD will be uh, sending a lot of people to, to CS uh, this year. Um, so you can expect you know, lots of reports from us on all aspects. That's probably one of the biggest events um, to look for in the coming months. Yeah, well, and we'll, we'll definitely be there in strength. It is going to be a strange one this year. Um, or next year in terms of seeing how many people come back. And we've seen a number of OEMs uh, make positive signs, uh, although they're sending fewer people. But a number of OEMs have said that they're not going to be travelling at all. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be a strange one to, to go back to. Um, on the report side, we've, we've also got a new forecast coming up, haven't we, uh, Alan, on, on Level 4 systems? Yeah, so uh, we'll be publishing soon a report on L4 as a whole, but L4 not considering the, the passenger vehicle, so anything but uh, passenger vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be covering trucks, uh, shuttles, um, goods delivery on uh, on 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 road, but also uh, on sidewalk. So uh, to just like to give a, a whole perspective of what the kind of level four autonomy could look like in terms of volume. Um, yeah. we, we're hearing. A lot of numbers in, in the press and um, as we mentioned slightly earlier on we we kind of struggle to get to those big numbers um, mm -hmm. so we'll be providing um, I, I would say a more kind of down-to-earth uh, approach and what the, the reality will be uh, in the coming coming years for um, L4 deployment. Excellent. Well deeper Chris, Alan I'd like to thank all three of you very much for, for joining us today and sharing a load of really interesting insights uh, and to the rest of you thank you for tuning in and we look forward to the next podcast.